Section two of Mr. Spaceship by Philip K. Dick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section two. Before I make my decision, I want to see the papers on this, the theory and outline of construction. I'm not sure I like it, for reasons of my own, I mean. But I want to look at the material. If you'll do that. Certainly. Kramer stood up and went to the door. Gross and the two security agents were standing outside, waiting tensely. Gross, come inside. They filed into the room. Give the professor the papers, Kramer said. He wants to study them before deciding. Gross brought the file out of his coat pocket, a manila envelope. He handed it to the old man on the bed. Here it is, professor. You're welcome to examine it. Will you give us your answer as soon as possible? We're very anxious to begin, of course. I'll give you my answer when I've decided. He took the envelope with a thin, trembling hand. My decision depends on what I find out from these papers. If I don't like what I find, then I will not become involved with this work in any shape or form. He opened the envelope with shaking hands. I'm looking for one thing. What is it? Gross said. That's my affair. Leave me a number by which I can reach you when I've decided. Silently Gross put his card down on the dresser. As they went out, Professor Thomas was already reading the first of the papers, the outline of the theory. Kramer sat across from Dale Winter, his second in line. What then? Winter said. He's going to contact us. Kramer scratched with a drawing pen on some paper. I don't know what to think. What do you mean? Winter's good-natured face was puzzled. Look. Kramer stood up, pacing back and forth his hands in his uniform pockets. He was my teacher in college. I respected him as a man as well as a teacher. He was more than a voice, a talking book. He was a person, a calm, kindly person I could look up to. I always wanted to be like him some day. Now look at me. So? Look at what I'm asking. I'm asking for his life as if he were some kind of laboratory animal kept around in a cage, not a man, a teacher at all. Do you think he'll do it? I don't know. Kramer went to the window. He stood looking out. In a way, I hope not. But if he doesn't, then we'll have to find somebody else. I know. There would be somebody else. Why did Dolores have to— The vidphone rang. Kramer pressed the button. This is gross. The heavy features formed. The old man called me, Professor Thomas. What did he say? He knew he could already tell by the sound of Gross's voice. He said he'd do it. I was a little surprised myself, but apparently he means it. We've already made arrangements for his admission to the hospital. His lawyer is drawing up the statement of liability. Kramer only half heard. He nodded wearily. All right. I'm glad. I suppose we can go ahead, then. You don't sound very glad. I wonder why he decided to go ahead with it. He was very certain about it. Gross sounded pleased. He called me quite early. I was still in bed. You know, this calls for a celebration. Sure, Kramer said. It sure does. Toward the middle of August, the project neared completion. They stood outside in the hot autumn heat, looking up at the sleek metal sides of the ship. Gross thumped the metal with his hand. Well, it won't be long. We can begin the test any time. Tell us more about this, an officer in gold braid said. It's such an unusual concept. 
Is there really a human brain inside the ship? A dignitary asked, a small man in a rumpled suit. And the brain is actually alive? Gentlemen, this ship is guided by a living brain instead of the usual Johnson Relay Control System. But the brain is not conscious. It will function by reflex only. The practical difference between it and the Johnson system is this. A human brain is far more intricate than any man-made structure, and its ability to adapt itself to a situation, to respond to danger, is far beyond anything that could be artificially built. Gross paused, cocking his ear. The turbines of the ship were beginning to rumble, shaking the ground under them with a deep vibration. Kramer was standing a short distance away from the others, his arms folded, watching silently. At the sound of the turbines he walked quickly around the ship to the other side. A few workmen were clearing away the last of the waste, the scraps of wiring and scaffolding. They glanced up at him and went on hurriedly with their work. Kramer mounted the ramp and entered the control cabin of the ship. Winter was sitting at the controls with a pilot from space transport. "'How's it look?' Kramer asked. "'All right.' Winter got up. "'He tells me that it would be best to take off manually. "'The robot controls,' Winter hesitated, "'I mean the built-in controls, can take over later on in space.' "'That's right,' the pilot said. "'It's customary with the Johnson system, and so in this case we should—' "'Can you tell anything yet?' Kramer asked. "'No,' the pilot said slowly. "'I don't think so.' I've been going over everything. It seems to be in good order. There's only one thing I wanted to ask you about. He put his hand on the control board. There are some changes here I don't understand. Changes? Alterations from the original design. I wonder what the purpose is. Kramer took a set of plans from his coat. Let me look. He turned the pages over. The pilot watched carefully over his shoulder. The changes aren't indicated on your copy the pilot said. I wonder— He stopped. Commander Gross had entered the control cabin. Gross, who authorized alterations? Kramer said. Some of the wiring has been changed. Why, your old friend! Gross signaled to the field tower through the window. My old friend? The professor. He took quite an active interest. Gross turned to the pilot. Let's get going. We have to take this out past gravity for the test, they tell me. Well, perhaps it's for the best. Are you ready? Sure. The pilot sat down and moved some of the controls around. Any time. Go ahead, then, Gross said. The professor, Kramer began, but at that moment there was a tremendous roar and the ship leaped under him. He grasped one of the wall holes and hung on as best he could. The cabin was filling with a steady throbbing, the raging of the jet turbines underneath them. The ship leaped. Kramer closed his eyes and held his breath. They were moving out into space, gaining speed each moment. "'Well, what do you think?' Winter said nervously. "'Is it time yet?' "'A little longer,' Kramer said. He was sitting on the floor of the cabin, down by the control wiring. He had removed the metal covering plate exposing the complicated maze of relay wiring. He was studying it, comparing it to the wiring diagrams. "'What's the matter?' Gross said. "'These changes. I can't figure out what they're for. The only pattern I can make out is that for some reason—' "'Let me look,' the pilot said. He squatted down beside Kramer. 
you were saying? See this lead here? Originally it was switch-controlled. It closed and opened automatically, according to temperature change. Now it's wired so that the central control system operates it. The same with the others. A lot of this was still mechanical, worked by pressure, temperature, stress. Now it's under the central master. The brain? Gross said. You mean it's been altered so that the brain manipulates it? Kramer nodded. Maybe Professor Thomas felt that no mechanical relays could be trusted. Maybe he thought that things would be happening too fast. But some of these could close in a split second. The brake rockets could go on as quickly as— Hey, Winter said from the control seat. We're getting near the moon stations. What'll I do? They looked out the port. The corroded surface of the moon gleamed up at them, a corrupt and sickening sight. They were moving swiftly toward it. I'll take it, the pilot said. He eased Winter out of the way and strapped himself in place. The ship began to move away from the moon as he manipulated the controls. Down below them they could see the observation stations dotting the surface, and the tiny squares that were the openings of the underground factories and hangars. A red blinker winked up at them, and the pilot's finger moved on the board in answer. "'We're past the moon,' the pilot said after a time. The moon had fallen behind them. The ship was heading into outer space. "'Well, we can go ahead with it.' Kramer did not answer. Uh, Mr. Kramer, we can go ahead any time. Kramer started. Sorry, I was thinking. All right, thanks. He frowned, deep in thought. What was it? Gross asked. The wiring changes. Did you understand the reason for them when you gave the okay to the workmen? Gross flushed. You know I know nothing about technical material. I'm in security. Then you should have consulted me. What does it matter? Gross grinned wryly. We're going to have to start putting our faith in the old man sooner or later. The pilot stepped back from the board. His face was pale and set. Well, it's done, he said. That's it. What's done? We're on automatic. The brain. I turned the board over to it. To him, I mean. The old man. The pilot lit a cigarette and puffed nervously. Let's keep our fingers crossed. The ship was coasting evenly in the hands of its invisible pilot. Far down inside the ship, carefully armored and protected, a soft human brain lay in a tank of liquid, a thousand minute electrical charges playing over its surface. As the charges rose they were picked up and amplified, fed into relay systems, advanced, carried on through the entire ship. Gross wiped his forehead nervously. So he is running it now. I hope he knows what he's doing. Kramer nodded enigmatically. I think he does. What do you mean? Nothing. Kramer walked to the port. I see we're still moving in a straight line. He picked up the microphone. We can instruct the brain orally through this. He blew against the microphone experimentally. Go on, Winter said. Bring the ship around half right, Kramer said. Decrease speed. They waited. Time passed. Gross looked at Kramer. No change. Nothing. Wait. Slowly the ship was beginning to turn. The turbines missed, reducing their steady beat. The ship was taking up its new course, adjusting itself. Nearby some space debris rushed past, incinerating in the blasts of the turbine jets. So far so good. Gross said. 
They began to breathe more easily. The invisible pilot had taken control smoothly, calmly. The ship was in good hands. Kramer spoke a few more words into the microphone, and they swung again. Now they were moving back the way they had come, toward the moon. "'Let's see what he does when we enter the moon's pull,' Kramer said. He was a good mathematician, the old man. He could handle any kind of problem. The ship veered, turning away from the moon. The great, eaten-away globe fell behind them. Gross breathed a sigh of relief. That's that. One more thing. Kramer picked up the microphone. Return to the moon and land the ship at the first space field, he said into it. Good Lord, Winter murmured. Why are you— Be quiet. Kramer stood, listening. The turbines gasped and roared as the ship swung full around, gaining speed. They were moving back, back toward the moon again. The ship dipped down, heading toward the great globe below. We're going a little fast, the pilot said. I don't see how we can put down at this velocity. The port filled up as the globe swelled rapidly. The pilot hurried toward the board, reaching for the controls. All at once the ship jerked. The nose lifted, and the ship shot out into space, away from the moon, turning at an oblique angle. The men were thrown to the floor by the sudden change in course. They got to their feet again, speechless, staring at each other. The pilot gazed down at the board. It wasn't me. I didn't touch a thing. I didn't even get to it. The ship was gaining speed each moment. Kramer hesitated. Maybe you'd better switch it back to manual. The pilot closed the switch. He took hold of the steering controls and moved them experimentally. Nothing, he turned around. Nothing. It doesn't respond. No one spoke. End of section two.